is produced by Sunbury Press's BookSpeak Network, and you are on Episode 7. I'm your host, Susan Kiskis. In the show, we bring two worlds together, wellness and spirituality. From yoga to Buddhism, healthy eating to turning dreams into reality, listeners will find themselves on a journey into their own virtual spiritual pilgrimage. If you want to continue the conversation after the show, visit my Facebook page, Yogic Living with Susan, or sign up for my weekly newsletter at susankisskiss.com. My guest today is Sarah Bamford Seidelman, author of Swimming with Elephants and Born to Freak, a Salty Primer for Irrepressible Humans. Sarah was a physician living a nature-starved, hectic lifestyle until a walrus entered her life and changed everything. She has studied at the Martha Beck Institute and Michael Harner's Foundation for Shamanic Studies. Sarah, welcome to Zen Up. Thank you, Susan. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you. I am so happy to have you on the show today. And let's just dive straight into the big elephant in the room. Um, you were a doctor for many, many years. Um, you were a board-certified physician specializing in surgical pathology, and you walked away from it all. What happened? Yeah, well, it wasn't a sort of a sudden overnight thing, but over a, a period of years, I began to feel less and less engaged with what I was doing at work. Um, and also, in addition to that, I was working, my husband and I were both physicians, had four young children that we were raising, so there was a component of kind of chaos at home as well that was going on. But at work, I started realizing, gosh, um, as I would sit in breast cancer conference, for example, where it was my job to, you know, identify the disease, characterize the disease, et cetera, I started um, having these experiences where people would start beginning to talk about the patient's life details, maybe like they didn't have a lot of support at home or maybe they were in an abusive relationship. And I just started wondering, gosh, wonder what would happen like if we took all this energy we're focusing on this disease and focused it on, you know, maybe a few years previously on, you know, creating a really healthy and supportive environment for this person. Like, could we prevent disease by doing what, you know, doing things to support a person, to, you know, creating community, for example? And I was, wasn't really, I mean, I felt like maybe that's a crazy idea and I should just focus on my work and not think that way. Um, but the feeling really wouldn't leave me alone and it made it harder and harder for me to sit at my microscope. Um, yeah, that's probably the best way I can put it. <laughs> so eventually I, I took that discomfort um, and I went on a sabbatical. Um, you know, when you're a pathologist, basically you're you're scanning, you know, like when you're looking at a pap smear, for example, this is probably the best way for somebody to understand what pathologists do. You know, you're looking through a, a pile of 100,000 cells seeking one or two atypical or bad, you know, potentially malignant cells or pre-malignant cells. And so for me not to be engaged in my work was, I knew was not something that was going to be tenable in the long term and could be potentially dangerous, you know, for others. And so taking it all very seriously, I ended up taking a sabbatical. And that's where things really started to change for me. In um, your book, Swimming with Elephants, you start to talk about that period and you say it's a tumultuous period of answering your call. So, yeah, tell us a little more details about what happened on your sabbatical. So I thought, well, I'm just going to, you know, take some time to learn a little bit more about some things that interest me, like coaching and 
So I did take some classes and get some training as I was there, but I, mainly I was hoping to, uh, you know, spend some time with my kids and have a relaxing summer, which I did that. <laughs> it wasn't all that relaxing because anybody with four kids knows it's like, whoa, this is, this is really hard work. But I also started kind of spending time out in nature, which wasn't really planned or part of the program. It was just sort of what happened to me. I started walking the dog out in the woods and, and I started having this, you know, I felt really good out there. I, I mean, I started feeling better than I had felt in years. Um, and and I also had this, you know, one beginning, there were many experiences, but one experience that I can recall is, you know, just sitting by this marsh near my house. And as I was sitting there just resting and relaxing, you know, the wind was kind of blowing these cattails back and forth and these grasses. And suddenly I just started thinking, gosh, you know, it almost feels like these grasses are blowing for me like they're the wind is somehow moving these grasses and it's somehow you know in communication or in connection with me (laughs) which was on one hand delightful and then on the other hand it was like uh uh-oh does this mean I'm going (laughs) crazy um and in my family that was you know a pretty uh not too uncommon of a feature you know we have quite a bit of um, mental health stuff in our both sides of my family and so it did cause a little concern to me like is this the beginning of what could be like a bipolar episode or something because I I, it seemed pathological (laughs) right from my my -hmm. viewpoint of being a medical person um but eventually I began to be really curious about that what is that you know what is going on here and eventually I stumbled into this ancient idea that wild animals who cross our paths have messages for us. And that summer I happened to stumble into this store in our little downtown in Minnesota, in this little downtown Minnesota town that I live in. And there happened to be a taxidermied walrus on the, uh, on the, on the wall there. And I was really just uh, taken with this walrus. <laughs> And then I started, I went back to visit him a couple times, and then I thought, okay, if this walrus potentially has a message for me, like this ancient concept talks about, this sort of shamanic concept, you know, what might it be? And I started thinking about, you know, walruses are sort of apex predators of the ocean. There aren't too many. The only thing that would really dare to, like, challenge a a walrus would be a polar bear, and that's not too common because, like, they don't want to waste their energy battling with each other. So I started wondering, well, maybe if I quit my job and pursued a totally different sort of way of helping in the world, maybe I would have no competition, you know, if I could just manage to somehow be myself. And I wasn't sure if that was true, but I thought, well, at least it inspired me. (laughs) So I wrote it down, and uh, that was kind of the beginning of, yeah, me starting to kind of say yes to my hero's journey and, and, uh, and find a different way of, of working and helping. Yeah. So let's jump ahead really quickly and, and, um, and then we'll go back to your, your personal journey, but you just mentioned the hero's journey, which is something that you talk about in your book and in archetypical um, philosophy or conversations when you're learning, there is all these different um, paths that we can wear. And one of them is the hero and then there's the concept of the hero's journey. So how did you identify with that for yourself? Yeah, well, I had heard, you know, the concept. Um, and so a hero is really, you know, somebody who's offered a challenge or they've, you know, anybody who's seen the Lord of the Rings trilogy, you know, Bilbo Baggins is the hero. And typically the hero will be offered uh, an invitation and typically the hero will refuse it at first. 
but then eventually they will say yes. And um, what I identified, you know, this was looking back. At the time, I was just in complete chaos, which is another thing that the hero experiences. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know what's going on. This is crazy. Like, why am I? I don't. I don't know why this is happening. Um, but looking back, um, my invitation to the hero's journey came way back in medical school. And it came at the bedside of a patient who was dying of cancer. And at the time, I felt so um, upset about the way medicine was handling and the way we were meant to be, you know, the way that the, the system was, you know, the way we got to interact with her. And I felt like we weren't serving her needs the way we needed to be. And it was very uncomfortable. And so instead of saying, yes, like, I'm going to solve this problem and find out a way to serve patients the way I want to or the way I long to, I'm just going to go into pathology because I can see if I just get behind a microscope, <laughs> I can help, I can be of service, but not deal with this very uncomfortable question that I don't know how to answer. So, you know, later, at a, you know, in my 40s is when that, that call came again, like, to, to really help people on that level. And this time I decided to say yes, and that's sort of I said yes by taking the sabbatical and beginning that exploration. Um, so the hero basically, once they say yes to their hero's journey, um, and this, if you're listening and you're thinking about saying yes to something, know that it's going to be a challenging process, but many people will step forward to help you to do whatever it is that you need to do. And eventually you will discover a treasure, which is part of the hero's journey, and somehow you will bring that treasure and return into your community and share it. Um, and so that's kind of the beautiful, the beautiful kind of tale of the hero's journey. And it's really the, the theme of every single amazing blockbuster movie you've ever seen, every great book you've ever read, um, usually has that, that as its sort of backdrop. <laughs> I totally have chills right now, and my brain immediately went to M. Night Shyamalan's Lady in the Water, where, I'm not sure, have you seen that movie? No. Oh, it's fantastic. So it was a children's story he wrote for his kids that he turned into a film. And it has, um, and each person has a role to play. There's the healer, there's the, the defender, um, you know, there's the interpreter, and all these people's roles get discovered as the plot moves along, and mostly towards the end. And, um, and, and the, you know, the main character who, um, I won't say for anyone who hasn't watched this film yet, he is denying what his role is, which was revealed to him a long time ago mm. that he abandoned. Um, and, it, and it was very present, like this is who you always have been. It's time to re-embrace that in a slightly different way. And, um, yeah, it's a fantastic movie, but it does – I love the fact that you're talking about um, all these people will come to support you in your journey. The tools are given to you um, so that you can move along. And I liked your the fact that you really have this memory of someone that you uh, – you know, was a patient of yours, that was a catalyst for this. And even though it was long before you made that change, they planted the seed for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you feel that there is a karmic connection, like that that was just meant to be? Um, I think, you know, looking back over my life, you know, my, uh, and I talk about this in the book, you know, one, one thing I always invite people to do is, you know, ask your, ask your, if you're looking for what your truest vocation or what meaningful work you might want to do in the world, you know, ask your parents or people who knew you as a young baby or young child, you know, what you were like. And my mom, I remember her telling me this story of, 
we ran into we spent some time with my grandmother who was uh an active alcoholic extremely depressed um you know a very distressed unhappy person and i was about 3 years old and we we had to leave town to, to we had spent some time with her it was time for us to go home and i my mom said i looked up and her was like can't we bring grandma home with me or home with us mm. you know why can't we bring her back with us? And my mom said she just felt so touched because she realized that I wanted to help grandma, you know, like it was just so painful um, that I wanted to help her somehow. And a couple of days later, she died in a fire, a house fire, you know, from smoking in bed and drinking. Um, and so there was this, maybe this desire very early on in me to relieve suffering in others. You know, I could feel her pain and I wanted it to, you know, wanted to bring her into the fold somehow and make it go away. Um, so, yeah, I think um, maybe that was way, maybe that's part of why I came here. Getting back to a few years ago. So you were on the sabbatical, you're spending time in nature, you see this walrus and um, you had this experience. And then that also led um, you to experiences that really started solidifying for you um, where your life was going. And just to quote you, um, you say that Sarah met an elephant who had become an important spirit companion on her journey, had bones thrown for her by a shaman in South Africa, and traveled to India for an ancient Hindu pilgrimage where she received the blessing she had been longing for. And I want to know those stories. Do you mind sharing yeah. some of those experiences with us? Yes. Yeah. So, you know, when I was on that sabbatical, one of the first crazy things to happen, and this is what happens when you say yes to anybody who's listening, once you say yes to your journey, wow, a lot of funny things start happening. So that summer, my friend got a call. We had been saying just loosely, hey, it'd be super neat to go to South Africa someday. Well, that summer, she got a call, and then she called me um, and invited me to go negotiate a bride price for her her cousin who's marrying a, a South African woman, and that was part of her family's tradition. So we were invited to South Africa to be kind of a delegation for his family uh, to negotiate what's called a labola. It's a sub ceremony where you know, tied back to original times when, you know, like a woman was exchanged for cows and things like that. And now it's more of a symbolic thing, but also a very important part of um, kind of the marital, uh, you know, program in South Africa in some, <laughs> in some tribes. And so uh, we ended up going there, which was an incredible experience. And then we had the opportunity to meet with a shaman in, in South Africa. And I had been reading a little bit about shamanism, and I really didn't know much about it, but we had heard that there was a shaman we could meet with when we were staying at this particular um, uh, place out near Kruger Park. And so we said, yes, we would like to do that. And so we arranged for it to happen, and I really didn't, have a deep understanding of what was happening but we went into this small hut and had there what the, what the shamans often do is they throw bones so the shaman has a bag of uh you know bones of different animals and stones that he or she has collected and knows and these bones are alive and spirited you know they have they will speak to the shaman and tell them things about the person and so we got to have them do that for my friend and I and I talk about that story in the book and at the end of that ceremony, um, we crawled out of the hut. And by the time we crawled out of the hut, the 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 the, the courtyard or sort of the you know it's just an earth place there was packed. There must have been like 60 people there. I don't know. The whole village came. All these people came from the um, 
the area next door and they began to, you know, drummers were drumming and the mm-hmm. shaman and all of her assistants began to dance. And it was just so powerful and so moving. And I didn't have a complete understanding of what was going on, but all I could think was, you know, that we came to them asking for help with these questions that we presented to them and how present they were and what beautiful energy they put into, you know, creating this huge ceremony. And I just found it moving. And so I wasn't sure what quite to think of what all that had happened, but I knew that something powerful had happened that day. (laughs) And that began my kind of deeper journey into really wanting to learn more about what is this? Like, what are these spirits people are calling and how, how does this all work? This shamanic, um, this shamanic kind of healing. Like you're talking Uh, about your childhood in your, in your childhood, you were saying about, you know, um, going back there and, and your, um, you know, your mother could identify you naturally as a healer. You also talk about in your book, though, how you had this experience um, where you were camping with your father and you were nervous about bears. And then you almost saw the image of a, or you saw the image of a bear in the fire, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it almost started as a young child with that as well. Yeah. Looking back, um, and you may find this as well with your own hero's journey, is looking back, you know, some of the clues were there. I was obsessed with animals as a child, you know, wild animals of any kind. And and actually, I talk in the book, too, about as my discontent began to grow in medical, in my medical, you know, in medicine, um, I got this strange yearning to do decoupage, which is this old way, you know, this kind of old-timey craft of gluing things onto glass, right? But the only things I wanted to glue were like wild animals. So first, first it was like domesticated animals. It was like chickens and cows and horses. And then eventually it became like much more like wild things, octopuses and giraffes. And, and I couldn't stop. I mean, it was a little odd and, um, And I didn't really know what it was about. It was very confusing, but I just felt this strong yearning to do this. And looking back, I think that was the wild animal spirits kind of beginning to sneak into my life and kind of bring me back to who I really am, you know, and bring me back to a place where I could do meaningful work again. But they had to come. Had they all shown up as actual spirits, that probably would have floored me, you know. So they came gently instead (laughs) in a form of decoupage. (laughs) I love that. I went yeah. through the phase, but mine was not fruitful. <laughs> um, and so you did eventually, though, have that bear come back to you, right? And yes. you describe this this bear totem as very motherly and nurturing, and eventually yes. that kind of formed your relationship with an elephant. Yes. So, right, I, I, I went on a shamanic journey to discover who was the spirit animal who was here to help me. You know, that was sort of how it all started. And for those of you who are listening and you want to know who's your spirit animal, you can go to, you know, followyourfeelgood.com and get If you subscribe, you'll get a download to, to go discover that for yourself. But the first animal that I met in the spirit world was this mother bear who, as you say, you know, Susan was super warm and just rubbed my back and, And I, you know, began a relationship with her, visiting her again and again, and she just really gently encouraged me. And then about the time that I was supposed to go back to work at the hospital, right around that time, this Alice, this elephant showed up in my journeys. And she was a very humorous and very uh, salty pachyderm. (laughs) And she really, I think, showed up at a time when I really needed strongly to be encouraged to just be who I was and not be afraid 
And um, she kind of encouraged me that, you know, to let medicine go that, you know, eventually she did. She didn't sort of do that right at that time. I think it would have scared me, but eventually that I could let medicine go and that things were going to be okay, which is what I was really yearning to do. But I was also very scared because it was like, financially, how are we going to, you know, pay for our kids' college? How are, how are we going to keep living this life we've been living? Like we've, you know, we've moved, we've cut down our expenses, but I just didn't know how we were going to replace the income that I was losing. Um, from you know walking away from my job and I, alice yeah, was just very that. yeah oh, go ahead. Okay, <laughs> she was just very um loving and very silly but also just very encouraging and like you know keep going and this is things are going to be okay um yeah and i needed that very much because if you're anybody who knows if you're taking a big leap in your life it's terrifying because you don't know how it's going to end you don't know how the story is going to end you know will it be a good thing or will it be a bad thing what i'm doing right now only time will tell (laughs) (laughs) i love it how she acted as um as your you know your cheerleader in in this process um and i do like the fact that you're you know you're sharing your book and you're sharing now too about you had to also just make very practical life decisions in order to follow your dream so you know on your website you know and we talk about is follow your feel good to an absurdly fantastic life which is also in your book and i love that when we take these beliefs of faith when we finally find out where we're going what we're doing there is a lot of practical planning that does have to happen. You know, life will present you with all of these wonderful opportunities that do fuse together and show you the path and the way, but we, there is work to be done. Um, yes. So do you find that that's the most challenging area for your clients um, is that they tell you it's once they identify what they want to do and who they are, it's how to actually put it into action? Yes. I think so, because when we get into that action phase or, you know, sort of the uh, like really putting it to work, um, it brings up all kinds of fears. Like, what if nobody likes it? You know, when I do stand up comedy or I write this book or I become a Qigong teacher, you know, what if, you know, what if nobody's interested in the products I have to sell? If you're, you know, creating some product that you're going to sell, it just stirs up all kinds of fears. And so... Um, but it's yet, it's so taking a step towards whatever it is you're yearning for, that is what you're going to need to do. And knowing that it will, it will scare you, (laughs) but it's that willingness to do it anyway. And, um, that will make all the difference. And it doesn't mean that you're going to have success every time, you know? Um, and when you have failure, it doesn't mean that this path is not meant for you. Um, you know, the hero has all kinds of, if you watch any amazing Hollywood movie, you will see, you know, the hero has all kinds of failed situations, things go poorly, you know, the door is locked, they can't get in, you know, all these kinds of things, but the hero keeps, keeps trying, keeps persisting, and it's that willingness, you know, here's the best mantra for the hero, I am willing, you know, I am willing mm-hmm. to continue uh, pursuing this thing, despite you know, the weather being horrible or despite the fact that nobody's signed up for my workshop except two people, like to show up anyway, because though doing that workshop for those two people will be um, a huge learning experience. And, you know, those two people are going to benefit from what you have to offer. Um, yeah, so definitely. Words there. Yeah, that, that, that I, enormously powerful words. 
Yeah, I am willing. <laughs> I still have to do it. I mean, even though now I've got lots of experience, but as you as the hero as your hero's journey continues on in life, you know, and you keep sort of playing to your edges, you know, more and more opportunities will come to help you expand and grow. And they doesn't necessarily get easier. I think what gets easier is that you see it over and over again. Oh yeah, that's right. I didn't want to do that. I don't want to. I don't feel like doing this right now. <laughs> but this is what I said I want to do. So I have to be willing. Um, my sister's a, a successful stand-up comedian, and she her name is Maria Bamford. For anybody who's listening who knows comedy, um, she's got her own show on on uh, Netflix, Lady Dynamite. But she does this joke where she's standing up on stage, and you're sitting there in this crowd of 600 people watching her, and she. She's such a pro. You're going, my God, look at this woman. She just owns it. It must be so easy for her. But then she tells this joke about, she goes, yeah, you think this is easy? She goes, five minutes ago, I did not want to be here at all. I mean, like, even her, who's done this a million times, who this is her, definitely her vocation. It's what she loves. But it doesn't mean she doesn't experience fear, resistance, and strong, you know, not easy to overcome, but you just, it's again it's that I am willing to walk through that over and over again yeah absolutely I love that because something you know, one of the things I talk to people about is that um, the, one of my biggest challenges and one of my greatest satisfactions is traveling and mm-hmm. um, and so for me I absolutely love to travel but I'm scared to death of planes and so people are you know, they're going my god you're always like hopping on a plane though to go somewhere I'm like well I do it afraid I do it anyway mm-hmm. because I want the end result so I'll do it afraid anyway and um, and I think that's, you know, it sounds like exactly what you're talking about. It's the willingness to do it no matter through fear and through the unknown, um, through challenges, so just to keep yeah. on plugging away. And I think that's why I really, when I work with clients a lot, I encourage them to develop a relationship with a spirit animal or a spirit teacher, you know, a spirit in human form, whatever you're drawn to, because then when you get on that plane or you step on that stage, you can invoke them. You can invite them to come with you, you know, and then we start to feel like, wow, like we're in really good company. And um, it's a lot less scary to do something when you, I mean, now when I do like larger events, if I'm feeling really scared, I will call like all my spirits to go to that room. And then when I step into that room, it feels really different. Like that's, I'm still, maybe a tiny bit anxious, but there's a deep comfort in kind of these old friends, if you will, because that's what the spirits kind of have become for me as you develop these relationships. It's almost like having a squad of your best friends standing behind you, holding your back, like just whispering in your ear, like, we've got you. This is all good. You know, it's going to be okay. So one of the things you talk about um, also in, in one of your, your lines that you use with, um, in your book is how good are you willing to let it get? And <laughs> yeah. that to me is another amazing question. It's, you know, it's, it involves a lot of thought. How, how good are you? And then if you're willing, right, to let it get. And I'm wondering mm-hmm. if you can describe what your aim was um, in helping people yeah. when you were formulating that question and then do you think people are not just afraid of failure, but they're actually afraid of happiness? Yes and yes. Um, I'll just tell a really brief story, which is kind of where this question started to come from, was right when I was on that sabbatical and in the summer, and I just knew, like, deep down in my bones, like, I do not want to go back to the hospital. I don't. But I couldn't admit it to anybody. I mean, I did not tell them my best friend. I didn't tell my mother. I didn't tell my husband because it was too scary of even, you know, my God, what are you going to do if you can't go back, you know? So I just put, I decided to put a prayer out to the universe. Like, 
if this is what I'm meant to do, if I'm not meant to go back and I'm meant to keep pursuing this, this curiosity, I don't even know what it is, like just discovering more about shamanism and spirit animals and all this. I didn't even know what it was. But like if I'm not meant to go back to work, show me how to do that. And really that question was a financial question because I was like, how are we supposed to keep going here? And about two weeks later, my husband got a pay raise that was almost to the dollar, the amount of my, by then I was working 40%, so a, a kind of a part-time salary, but still a significant chunk of money in terms of our monthly budget. So, got a, so it was like basically that, when I remember when he told me about it, I'm like, oh my gosh, it's the universe like answering my prayer. I mean, in that split second, <laughs> that's what I honestly thought. I was like, this is so wonderful. Like, what a relief. But within 48 hours, I was back into, oh, man, like, but that might not last. And that might not be an answer to a prayer. That might, you know, and just all the question and the doubting started. And that's when I realized it's like almost like no matter what, my, my modus operandi was to put another glass ceiling look over myself all the time. Like I was constantly imposing some new limit, no matter what was offered to me. And I realized that comes from, you know, just a deep down belief that maybe I don't deserve it or I don't deserve to, to follow my passion or I don't deserve to be happy might even be a deeper thing, right? Uh, maybe I should just accept the fact that work is hard. So I started to formulate this question, like, what if I could be willing to allow myself to really lift all those invisible glass ceilings that I've been imposing on myself and take them off? Then, and it's such a great question to ask if you, whether you're having a successful time or whether you're having a challenging time, like how much more love and success would I be willing to allow myself to experience? Um, and if I'm not allowing myself to have that, why? You know, is it because I don't think I deserve it? Is it because I don't think it's fair? Is it because I should suffer because other people are suffering? That's a big one for a lot of my clients because they're, super loving, compassionate, super sensitive people, and sometimes their biggest worry is, but if I'm successful and happy, somehow that will be hurt, harmful for, to somebody else, like to somebody I love, which sounds like sort of illogical, but that is, I think, um, I think that really just ties back to a, as us being empathic humans, like we want everybody to be happy. And so we worry if we're really happy somehow maybe – you know, maybe somebody else won't be like there's some limit to how much joy and love there is or we should be willing to suffer all the time. Um, anyway, that's so that's why how good am I willing to let it get? Like how easy could it be? Like how much um, how much love and connection can I allow myself to experience with before I freak out and panic and feel I'm not worthy <laughs> or feel like the sky is going to fall or, you know, and it's just a practice. I still have to ask myself that question. It's so wonderful now because I have friends and clients. If I'm ever stressed and saying, gosh, I don't know about this or wringing my hands, some, one of my friends will go, how good are you willing to let it get, Sarah? And I'm like, oh, <laughs> that's right. That's so good. It's like, that's right. Okay. Like loosen the reins, like let go a little bit. Where could you kind of go with that? I, I like that too. Yeah. So it's the, sometimes things do present to us very easily when the timing is right and it's time to move forward. Mm -hmm. And then we question, it can't be this, we say it's can't be this easy. And then we have a tendency to deny it and want to create the, the issues around it. And then I think that that goes back to a little bit about just kind of when you were saying your friend was just saying, you know, just to, just to let it go. It's that control that we feel like 
we need to have, want to have, we need to not just be along for, you know, helping to, and to have this action, but be the complete creator of, of what our life is going to be. And I think that part of it, for me at least, what I believe is that we have a hand and we have to have an active hand in creation, but that there is this energy, whether it's from our spirit animals or the universe, that just comes along with us and, and nudges us and shows us this path and will help to bring things to us and people to us um, along the way. We have to just be willing to step out of our own way and accept that. Do you, does that resonate with yes. you? Yes, and it'll be surprising, like, how it shows up because you'll be like, oh, wow, like, I just had a client the other day. Somebody has been studying him, watching him, seeing his performance, and they approached him at a big convention and were just like, we want to hire you. Like, let's sit down. Let's talk about this. And, you know, they wanted to give him a raise, and they wanted to give him more, you know, of a high-profile position, which is what he was looking for. And he said when they started talking to him, he goes, I felt like I was being punked almost. Like, was somebody <laughs> putting them up to the – like, it, it was so surreal, the offer that he was getting, that he started to wonder if it could possibly that be that good, like, you start to distrust. Um, and I've had things like that happen too, where you're just like, is this really happening? Like, and so what if, what would, you know, what would it take for you to trust? Cause I think as you say, like our ego wants to know, well, this is how it's going to unfold, but wow, it could unfold in a totally, it could be even way easier than that, way better than that. But you have to let go of that control of how you think it's going to go. <laughs> So one of the things that you have on your website, which for everyone listening, um, please go on to Sarah's website, followyourfeelgood.com. She has, you know, blogs on there, um, videos, and then you even do, you, you know, you do trips that you can, you can join her on. Um, but you have a book coming out and, uh, next month called The Book of Beasties. And for people that are interested in totems right now, they, you have actually printable cards uh, there's this set of 12 beastie guys that they can print out, right? Um, yes. To get ready for your book of beasties. So um, since we're getting towards the, the end of our hour here, would you actually share a little bit about what your new book is about? Yes. Yeah, so it's the beginning of it, This like the maybe the first quarter of it is about, you know, how to get me the messages of wild animals that are the ones that are crossing your path or maybe showing up in your dreams or in your life. Maybe you've got like hedgehogs on Facebook, like you cannot get away from the hedgehogs and you're like, why the hedgehogs? What does this mean? Um, and you can the the big bulk of the book is a beautifully illus, highly illustrated guide to um, the messages of different wild animals and what they might be trying to say to you. Um, and it's also quite prescriptive, so it gets into like you know if you're struggling with work or you're wanting to find a partner or you're struggling with health issues and you're wanting to like create more wellness in your life and maybe you've got crocodile or maybe you've got raccoon. Um, showing up in your life, you know, what might that possibly mean? And I'm laughing because that raccoon that scaled, I don't know if you heard the story of the the, the, <laughs> the female raccoon that scaled that building in Minneapolis. I was totally panicked. I had to, like, disengage from Twitter. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It's like that raccoon has got a message for all of us, and I, I just think it's so magnificent. I love that it was a female. When I found that out, I was just grinning ear to ear because it's like, I think what she showed us is like what you thought you knew about raccoons capabilities. You had no idea, you know, you had no idea. And I loved how she like rested. The guy was the NPR commentary. He goes, at one point she stopped in a win window well and went into a downward dog and she looked so relaxed, like the most relaxed raccoon I've ever seen. And I'm like, that's what it takes. Like when we want to climb a mountain like that, like we have to rest like that too. 
So, wow, what an amazing role model she was and is for all of us. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But that's sort of the book, yeah. That's awesome. So um, Sarah's book, Book of Beasties, will be coming out next month. You'll be able to find out more information about that book on followyourfeelgood.com along with her other um, books, Swimming with Elephants and Born to Fool Humans. I'm so (laughs) grateful for you taking the time to, to talk with me and to, and all the stories you shared with myself and the listeners today and uh, such um, wonderful nuggets of wisdom to help all of us, whether we're trying to learn more about um, shamanic work or to find our own path and find our joy. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you, Susan. It was a delight. <laughs> we were willing. <laughs> <laughs> we were willing. That's, I love that. We'll end the show with that. That's perfect. Thank you again so much, Sarah. You're welcome. Bye. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC.